Welcome to episode four of Two Daves in a Doc. Today we're going to be talking about early stage tools, which are the annotated bibliography and circles of knowledge. Let's join the conversation. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to, uh, oh God, what are we up to now? Four? Uh, Four. You know, a t-shirt switch and a couple of minutes later, we all of a sudden have warped in time, which is a wonderful thing. So we have gone through, you've decided on a PhD. You've talked to your supervisors and advisors. You've even oriented yourself to time, place, and space digitally and physically. And now the fun begins. Well, the fun's already begun, but now you get to kind of formalize some of that fun. You start to narrow down, start to think through, start to collect your resource. That rubble turns into something that's worth building. So with that, we're going to talk about annotated bibliographies, circles of knowledge, and maybe another tip or trick or two as part of that. So over to you, Mr. Pollard. So annotated bibliographies, all the fun stuff, getting into the writing, getting started on that research stuff. Uh, so for, from my side, um, we, I'm going to walk you through what I'm using at the moment. So again, at the start of this process, and it should be fun, but also I think it is useful to, to kind of anchor this and, and, and frame it in terms of your future literature review as well. So, you know, what you're building in terms of your annotated bibliography are key elements of how you're going to structure that lit review uh, at a later stage. So the more you can do here, the easier it's going to be for you to be able to pull and develop and, and build that out. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to share, um, I think during the video and a little bit later, maybe some links and things so you can see an example template of, of what we're using for this. But um, I sat down with, uh, like I said, in one of the, the previous episodes with the UCD Writing Centre, and they helped me to frame some of these topics uh, and elements. So this is something that's used not just by myself, but other uh, students as well, and also professors and lecturers within the higher education space. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk you through some of the elements that you want to be, uh, I suppose, taking note of during your active reading elements of this. So, you know, you've, you've gone through your search, you've identified some of the, the key elements and the topics and the articles and journals that you want to read, maybe some of the books, whatever it might be. And now you want to be able to uh, think a little bit critically about that. You want to start asking yourself the right questions. So first and foremost is trying to figure out what your referencing style is. From my perspective, I'm choosing uh, APA because it fits in with the educational scene. We have in our school an, uh, a kind of an open call for, for any type that you, you want to use. So from our perspective, it doesn't really matter, but I've decided based on my topics and um, coming in from an educational perspective that APA is probably gonna be the most useful moving forward, but that doesn't matter to you. So the first thing that you wanna do when you're reading something is add in your reference, get it that nailed down, get used to going through that process and, and walking through it. And it can be tedious at the start, but it's surprising as you get used to it, you know, maybe print something off and have it there beside you so that you can just refer to it going through it. Uh, and if you're using something like Mendeley or one of the other um, products that you can do for, for getting this together, well then as well with that, just uh, one of the tips that we got actually this week was make sure you're checking for those auto-generated um, references as well because they can come up a little bit uh, weird in it so you know even if you're using something like that make sure you're checking that as well so that's the first thing to do from there as well we want to get to a stage where we're thinking about summarizing we want to try and get um, your thoughts on this so it's not about copying and pasting or taking elements directly from it you're trying to put in your own words the overall essence of what this is so in one case uh, for example I was looking at uh, Dana Henriksen and her work, and it was around design thinking and the practicing teacher. So basically, 
uh, in a nutshell, it was design thinking and education. And the, the overall essence of that as well was around the uncertainty about how to introduce uh, these design thinking elements into the classroom. And it was all around problems of practice and those elements as well. So from my perspective, I found that really interesting. And there was three specific takeaways and it looked at um, you know, the value of empathy, uh, becoming uncomfortable with uncertainty and seeing teaching as design. And that was it. That's all I put in. It was nice and easy, but it means that when I'm looking back over that, I can go, okay, well, that's why I read that. I understand that. And that's the overall essence from that. Uh, moving on from that as well, this is where the kind of critical mind comes in. I think this is really useful. And, and, and Dave and Colin can, can uh, kind of come in here at this point, I think, uh, before we move into the next sections. And it's about, you know, understanding, you know, is this a useful resource in terms of the quality, uh, not just the, the content itself, but, you know, what's it coming in from? What are the, the different uh, elements that it's, it's addressing? So in this case, it's looking at design-based research, and that has a history and there's research around it. So, you know, that's something that, that stands out to me that it's, it's useful from my perspective, and I can go back and find references that back that up. Uh, but also as well, in this case, this one that I'm reading, it provided a research question and it gave an insight into the methodology used, but it was limited in terms of some of the participants. I think it was only about 22 people that participated in it. So that to me meant, okay, well, although it's quite interesting and there are elements that I can pull out of, I need to go now and find more things that either back up or challenge some of those uh, elements that I've brought up in the, in the summary. And I think that critical side is something that I, I'm, I'm uh, trying to learn a little bit more of. And, and Dave, I don't know, if, and Colin, if you have found that same process around that critical insights into the work that you're reading. Dave has his there in front of him. So like, you know, he's reviewing papers there too. So I think at that stage, I think I might be good for, in case anyone doesn't know what an annotated bibliography is. You know, I mean, that was how to do one. It's basically like the forerunner to your references or your big bibliography that you will have in your thesis at the end. Mm -hmm. At the earliest stages, it is just something that allows you to gather all the relevant research in one kind of like table. And then it allows you to kind of frame it in respect to each other, frame it in comparison to the field you're looking at. And then, you know, frame these sort of early research influences against each other. So as David just described, you know, what is the kind of overarching outcome of the paper? What are the main core elements and how does it relate to your research? So it's nearly like a evolutionary list at the earliest of stages that will allow you to start building up the main core pieces of research in your area. And then it does evolve into your actual reference list and bibliography at the end. Some will remove, some will drop off, you'll add more on, but it's the earliest stages of you building up the kind of scope and scale of your research project. And Dave's is right there. Yeah, so uh, I do things, I blend both of what you're saying together, <laughs> you know, and kind of, you know, uh, you know, for an unstructured mind like myself, you know, I appreciate structure. Uh, it sounds kind of oxymoronic, but hey, welcome to my life. You know, I, you know, David's enthusiasm for structure and Colin's enthusiasm for chaos. Or wait, maybe that's, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're going to go with that. I, I kind of fall in the middle. So I've done very similar approaches to similar things in, in that, you know, so flipping this around, I mean, this is just a small pile. You'll see here, these are the ones with yellow are actually my annotations to my references. So what I do is when I go through and I read something or I found, you know, find the rabbit trail and go down it, I'm actually pulling out some of the salient information. And it, it, 
call it note-taking, call it highlighting, whatever. It, you Different strokes for different folks when it comes down to it, right? And then the ones that don't have that yellow sheet on the front of it are ones that I haven't gotten through. I mean, I'm not going to read a statistical manual, manual today. Um, I don't want to fall asleep early in the morning. <clears throat> when I roll that up, though, into my annotated bibliography, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to take that yellow sheet where I've rolled up all those notes. And similar to, to Mr. Pollard there. I'm going to create a kind of a, in my mind, I'm creating a rank scale. I'm creating a correlation between, you know, for example, in my case, I'm reading a lot of David Niemer's stuff and the research that he's done around favelas in Brazil and the technology enablement of those favelas, right? I also have found uh, an interesting person, uh, I don't remember her first name, but Bang also talks about these things in, indige in indigenous tribes as well. So when I'm going through, I've got these lead sheets and I've made that. And I, you know, when I start to assemble this into my digital document, my annotated bibliography, I can go, oh, you know, Niemer and Bang talked about this concept together. And I'm taking it uh, kind of in my own personalized way. I'm actually giving it a rank scale and how I view that research as well. And this is something actually we found this week in, in some of the presentations. Um, a pivot method, maybe I forget the exact <laughs> exact presentation, but it was a really interesting way to kind of create at a glance where I find this to be prioritized within what I'm looking at. So again, similar, I'm creating that kind of journey, that map. I want to go here. I want to go find out more. You know, the sample size may be small. My favelas are rather large, but sample sizes may be small and I need to go down this path a little bit more. So you know, I also pull out, I'm a big fan of reading bibliographic information within the articles as well, because you find out who's linking to who, who's stating to. You can find that in some reference managers. You can find that in Google Scholar, for example. This was cited 15,000 times. It must be good. No, actually, it shows up in dirty little areas of the internet multiple times. So, you know, whatever. Of Curate your resources. Just pro tip. But by doing that, you find out where these things can lead. You find out a little bit more. Because again, you're always in a process. And I think, Colin, you mentioned this last episode as well. You're always, you know, David, you did too. You're always in the process of finding out why this matters. You're always in the process of connecting that, uh, that passion, your heart to your head and trying to drive that information back in and trying to drive it. Because remember, these are not supposed to be opinion pieces. As much as I want them to be opinion pieces on why everybody is wrong and I'm right, <laughs> it's not an opinion piece. It is grounded in the fact of reality. It's grounded in the research of both yourself and others. And so you're really trying to you know, find that foundation. So there's my little you know, soapbox, yeah, think if you will, for the moment. I think I think you're you're dead right. The, the the why is so important, and that's something that you know coming on from the next stage for for what we do in terms of trying to get this annotated bibliography written down and and kind of in a in some type of structured format is you know tying it back to how it relates to your project and your question. And I think that's that's something that you know it, it's so tempting to follow these amazing areas that you know are you suddenly just found for the very first time and you go. Oh my goodness! I think that the rabbit hole is like a great way of describing that, and it it you, you can't help it, and you'll find yourself, and then it's like two three hours later, and you're going, oh my goodness, I need to hold off here because hold yourself actually, back a little bit. Exactly, exactly, yeah. uh, because it just doesn't relate to the project. So again, that's another element if you're looking at it in terms of trying to 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 structure this. Is you know 
keep that in mind at all times. You know, okay, you've found uh, your, your reference, you've found, uh, you've, you've edited a kind of a summary of it, you've put in an, your assessment, your thoughts from a critical perspective on it, and now you have to go, why? Uh, is it relevant to my project? And then from there, if it is, if you say, yes, it is, then brilliant, that's super. And you can pull out different elements of it. And what I would recommend is, you know, taking out uh, some of the sections to, uh, to overreview. Uh, so you want to try and highlight those. So you're going to use those as kind of the key um, quotes or whatever it might be, and make sure you're keeping track of your pages within that. But then also on the flip side, if there are interesting areas that may, you may not use right now, but that you think that you might use at a later stage, take those out as well. So possible materials in terms of the, the cross-referencing. So you're going to be able to check that out and go over it to someone else. So it mightn't be that particular author who's, who's written it, but they may have uh, quoted someone uh, and they have an interesting perspective that you want to take out. And then kind of finally on that as well is any keywords or any just even thoughts that spring to your mind, have a little section for that and just pop those down because it's surprising afterwards when you go back and do it. And all you're going to do is maybe just go to those keywords and try and pick those out and then decide that you're going to read that again based based on that. So that that's that's my process. We'll share that. And I think it, it, it's helped me and credit to uh, Professor Hamilton over in, in the, the writing center for kind of putting me on that, that approach. And I've adapted it a little bit. But yeah, that the why the why is key. Colin, you've got you've gone through it you can just, yeah, that's the perfect segue into our next tool. So, you know what I mean? Your annotated bibliography helps you collect all of your different early stage resources and start framing your position in your own research and that research in the fields you're kind of working in. So like, for example, my own work was on innovation methods and I, you know, focused an awful lot on design thinking and, you know, the work done with like the, from David Kelly and, you know, people in the Stanford D school. And then I added elements of disruptive innovation from Clayton Christensen and elements of open innovation from Henry Cheeseborough. And it, it, it kind of helps you position it, but trying to gather all of that saliently can be difficult if you have huge amounts of references. I had a couple of thousand references in my thesis at the end. So a tool we use and a core part of what is in our, one of our programs is this idea of the, um, a, I've, I've forgotten the word for it. What, the uh, circles of knowledge. The circles of knowledge. That's exactly it. There's a nice example from <laughs> Mr. David Green. It's impossible uh, I mean, to say that without, you know, adding some type of, you know, uh, element to it. It's just, you know, it, it's quite interesting. We might need some music or something like that. When, yeah. We dance in between, that. but yeah, uh, I dance yeah. in between. So can we see yours again, Dave? <laughs> see what I mean? This is a circles of knowledge and it's a tool and a technique that's used by our group to get a very high level understanding of where your research sits and the areas it interacts with and then therefore how those areas interact with each other. So it's nearly like a map of your research it will evolve it will change as you go along by the time you finished you will have it really tightly condensed and then in one slide or one image like they've just showed you can show somebody externally exactly where your research fits and what fields it impacts in so that lacks as a real good external framing factor and then helps you catalog research do your annotated bibliography and then interconnect the elements and then as as david said you look at the references of your references of your references and then it will guide you <laughs> along an interesting path they might add an extra field in they might add an extra viewpoint in like I, I had design added in and the idea of innovation from a designer's perspective was added into mine. And I got a huge amount of benefit from that by chasing these references. 
I, you know, for me being a, a very visual type person, you know, these type of exercises work extremely well, right? So again, I, I exist somewhere between the chaos and structure. And so kind of knitting these things together, again, you're looking at where I use this almost every single day and it drives me nuts because it's very academic in my mind, but the intersection, the intersectionality of these different things, uh, which is something I'm actually looking at intersectionality within communities, but whatever. When you start to look at how these things start to touch each other, start to intersect, like, so I had materials theory on mine. Materials theory is actually a fascinating concept when you look at it within a digital kind of economy, when you look at a digital space, how technology is used and how people pursue or how communities pursue this. But I wouldn't have found that and I wouldn't have correlated or connected that had I not sat down and actually done this exercise, really looked at it because it's, you know, it's that it's a very slight rabbit trail when it comes down to some of these things. You see touches of it, but it may not be a full, fully developed idea. It might not be a fully developed thing. And again, as you're trying to drive your thought leadership, your capabilities within your PhD, this is a point of differentiation for you. Others haven't talked about materials theory, for example, in the way of digital economy or in the way of emerging technologies. Ergo, this is... Th this is actually something that's really fascinating and cool. You might discover by virtue of this, like you said, Colin, that you can narrow your field down. The, the, the danger is it becomes so big that there's an entire page of circles. And what happens then is you're screwed. You're going to spend the rest of your life in academia and not doing anything and helping anyone, even yourself. And so a lot of the, you know, again, this is where your supervisors and advisors help as well, because they're trying to help you narrow down those cognitive fields, trying to help you narrow down so that when it comes time for your Vitae, you're not sitting there going, I don't know anything about what, you know, good enough social theory. Uh, what are you talking about? I don't, everything you do is in accordance to that. So, I mean, context and color from both you gents, but that's, you know, this helps me actually narrow things down by going big at the beginning and then kind of yeah, like things down hundred percent on that one um, and it, it's something that because I'd been uh, working with Colin prior to this so I'd, I'd come across the term from from working uh, with him and I, I tried it the first time around and I think it's okay to go you know innovation education technology and start Broad with that yeah. And, and that's absolutely fine and then from there it, it's it's a process and it's continual I think that's the thing it's like don't just do it and leave it uh, as a passive document or a static document. Like, make it a live part of, of your your research over the course of the next while. And, and for me, like it's like I'm still going to break it down, but it's now going into design thinking frameworks, technology enhanced learning, and specifically problems of practice within the educational side. So you know, starting to narrow that down. And again, that will probably go tighter again as as we go forward. But it's definitely fun, and I agree with you. The visuals. They it definitely helps. You need it. It helps you guide it. And it's kind of, it is meant to be evolutionary. If you set out a circles of knowledge on your very first day of your PhD, if it stays the same by the time you finished at the end, your idea is probably not ambitious enough. You've not probably achieved what you set out to achieve, or you've made very minuscule impact in that specific area. So unfortunately, we're all not lucky enough to be like an Albert Einstein and write a revolutionary <laughs> industry changing thesis out of the blue on like a handful of pages and change the world. You know, what we do in doctoral studies work is you make a little dent 
you progress knowledge a fraction further. You just need to find where your fraction is and what sort of area you can improve by pushing that fraction a little bit more forward. But a point that you mentioned again, Dave, was like why it matters and how you're connected. And we won't go into this. This is just a kind of flag. We might actually have an episode about just this later on in the kind of in the series is this idea of something we also use in the program, which is your kind of plumb line. And it's a kind of very... To be honest, it scared the life out of me. The, as, a, as a lifelong technical engineer, the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is getting very personal now. And it scared the life out of me. But the idea of a plumb line is something that we, we, we all have used. And it's how us as individuals connect with the work we're doing. Why is it important? So I worked on innovation process and I wanted to help more people use the kinds of very good, impactful innovation tools that engineers, technologists, and startup founders use to create new innovations. So my care about it, my plumb line was, I love innovation and I want more people to be able to do the sorts of innovation that I am lucky enough to be able to do on a daily basis using the tools I use. So I want to make more accessible, impactful, user-friendly tools to do exactly that. So this idea of a plumb line is how you, as a person, connect to your research. Why do you find it important? Why does it matter to you? Why do you want to do this work? And unfortunately, you're at a stage where if you can't do that and you can't describe that, I'd nearly recommend that the research you're doing doesn't really matter to you. And you're going to have either a very unenjoyable time doing your PhD or as soon as it's finished, you're never going to touch it ever again. So, I mean, you need to care about your work and you need to care about what you're doing. And some of the tools we talked about can help you do that and track that and kind of evolve with you as you grow and you kind of progress your research. Yeah. The plumb line, uh, agree completely is that's, that's your North star as we call it. That's your, it's what you're orienting towards. Yes. You have your academic career, you have your PhD, which is an, a you know, hugely esteemable goal, not to disparage that at all. But if what you're doing is just for the sake of doing that, then you're missing the point. You have to connect your head to your heart. Because what we do, regardless of your program, has to have meaning. It has to have meaning to you. It has to have something beyond just an achievement or a tick in a box, right? And maybe that's what the meaning is to you. I'm not going to disparage that either. I mock Heidegger, you know, philo philosophical stuff all the time. But if that's what gets you up and motivated every single day, and if that's what connects your head to your heart, then by all means, talk about existential angst in South America through the lens of Heidegger's, you know, Teutonic philosophy. I, I, I don't care. That's amazing. You go and you do you. But a lot of what we do, you know, our passion for people, our passion for social transformation has led all three of us together. It's led all three of us to look at, you know, our particular program and the benefits of looking at how everything we do impacts other people and impacts what. What, what, what can happen and what will happen? So our tiny little dent, moving that rock <laughs> just small a little, little bit further. Your small of impact, no matter what it is, doesn't matter what field it's in, once it's interesting to you and at least one other person, it's worth doing. And to be honest, on, on this, I think we're lucky because we're going to be welcoming in a guest to join us. And I think passion and that heart of, of terms of you know putting people first in terms of research uh, is going to be what she's going to talk about a little bit and she's going to share some of her work in it and uh, so you know that's going to be a, an exciting uh, element to add to what is you know two docs and a dave or plus two guests dave, <laughs> two, two docs and a dave wow you, so you've elevated us <laughs> 
congratulations. It's two Daves and a Doc, and and we get to add in our next episode. And guests. And guests. Well, you're going to so have close. to decide who's going to get the PhD now because there's only two in the name. So one of you is missing out. I'm good either way. Three <laughs> dogs just doesn't sound good. Well, dogs so, good. So on that note, ladies and gents, thank you so much for attending our uh, our episode. We're going to, we'll make this as interactive as possible. As you know, we're going to make this as fun as possible. And we're glad that we're able to take you on our journey. Um, and hopefully you find some find some wealth in these diamonds in the rough, so to speak. So today, annotated bibliographies, your circles of knowledge, and a little bit of your plumb line. Understand where those fall in your journey. Understand, orient yourself towards those, as we talked about in episode three. And uh, then you get to see kind of the realities of how this works itself out coming up next. Thank you for listening to episode four of Two Daves in the Dock. Join us next week when we talk to Dr. Emma Smith about meaningful diversions and nonlinear paths. You're not going to want to miss this one. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.